This audio production is presented by Good Shepherd Presbyterian Church in Ocala, Florida. For more resources, visit us online at gspcocala.com. This morning's sermon passage is from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 6, verses 25 through 34. Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble." May his word give us life. Thank you, Nikki. Irony of ironies, I feel really anxious about this sermon. And so we pray. Father, uh, would you come now? And do as you promise, make yourself known by your word. Uh, God, uh, we know uh, because you have told us that you love us and that you care for us more than we could imagine. And so we ask that you would show that to us now uh, by pushing me aside and letting your word stand firm. Uh, Let each and every one of us now hear from you. Let us hear the invitation and the promise that we need not worry, that we can cast all of our cares and all of our anxieties to you because you care for us. Uh, Father, open our eyes to see that and by your Holy Spirit empower us to walk with you in faith. In Christ's name, amen. Uh, These verses... Uh, are very familiar, I believe, uh, and can easily come out of the context uh, wherein they stand. And so I want to make sure we uh, remember to begin with, uh, when Jesus says, therefore do not be anxious, he is not just pulling anxiety out of thin air, but instead it is part of 
uh, part of the flow of thought that he is in in this sermon uh, that started back in Matthew 5 uh, as he called people to himself. As he called the sick, the broken, the needy, as he called his disciples, who were the sick, the broken, and needy, as he called those who seemed to have everything they need and yet still were insufficient, he called them to a kingdom. He announced to them that his kingdom had come and there was a a new rule. No longer did you need to submit to the rule of the way of man, but instead his kingdom was at hand. And that kingdom was a blessed kingdom where everything was turned upside down, where the poor in spirit were those who would have life, where those who were needy would find all their satisfaction in him. And in that kingdom, righteousness would reign. In fact, righteousness that surpassed that of the scribes and Pharisees, a righteousness of not just external action, but of heart and soul. A righteousness that did not need to perform so that others saw it, but instead could be done in secret because our Heavenly Father would see and reward. He says that is a righteousness, that is a kingdom wherein there is no two-sided service. It is either God is your master or not. In the midst of that call and in the midst of that invitation, it is natural that people would begin to question, okay, you're telling me that I need to be righteous. You're calling me to a standard that is above anything I've ever even heard of, much less seen. You're calling me to look at my heart in ways that, that I don't dare begin to think about because they are so weak and broken. You're calling me to a level of commitment of singular worship toward you that I will not even come close to. And I still have a job and a family and all the other things I've got to take care of. And you want me to be fully devoted to not being angry in my heart? Don't you know what I do on Monday morning? Don't you realize that, again, these are the sick, the needy, the poor. These are people who wonder where their next meal is going to come from. And he's saying to them, no, 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 don't worry. Because naturally, as he begins to call into this kingdom, into this righteousness, it would be easy for us to say, don't you know what I have to deal with? And therefore, he tells us not to worry. He tells us that we don't have to worry. It would be easy for many of us to hear this as a command uh, that simply says, shame on you for all the anxieties that you carry, as opposed to the beautiful invitation of, because my kingdom reign is here, and it is sure, and it is steadfast, you need not worry. You need not fear. A couple little notes. I I am not going to try and set up and build what worry and anxiety feels like because I don't think I have to. Uh, Some of you will hear this in light of your own struggle with, uh, with a diagnosed anxiety disorder or something in the realm of that, right? And one thing I want you to not hear, okay? I had a professor who used to always say, don't hear what I'm not saying, right? Do not hear Jesus say, If only you had more faith, 
then you wouldn't be as anxious. He is not saying that it is an absence of faith that is part of this physical, mental disorder that you have. There are aspects of the fall and aspects of the effects of sin and life that are there. And they are not simply going to go away if you believe a little bit more. There are aspects of your life where you will not taste freedom from them until glory. And that's a fact. Oddly enough, that's a grace of God. Paul talked about the thorn in his side that the Lord decided to keep there so that he would continue to depend on him. So for some of us, we're going to hear shame on you for all your worries and all your anxieties because if you just believed more, then they would go away. And that may not be true. However, what you should hear is that in your battle against your worries, against your anxieties, against those fears that wake you up at night, in your struggle to fight against them with Jesus walking beside you, this is one of your chief weapons. His promise that you can trust in him, his call to let go of those anxieties. Do not fight that battle without these promises. Another note, in our current world that we live in, amongst young people, anxiety is skyrocketing, right? You know this, you watch enough news, you read enough little things on the internet, you know this. Maybe you just engage with somebody who's in their 30s or younger, and you realize there is, a, there is not a low-level anxiety, there is a high-level anxiety in almost everything they face, Now, to my older friends, do not scoff at them and say, you don't have anything to be anxious about. That's called not being caring, okay? That's not what we do. It is a reality, and maybe, maybe it's a reality that we created. Maybe it's a reality that that as parents we pass down to our children. Maybe it's a reality of social media and the impact on the heart. I don't care about all those realities, quite honestly. Diagnosing it is not going to be the same as addressing it. This, for those of us who, uh, who find ourselves in that place where anxiety, particularly amongst young people, is, is growing and seems to be ever-present, what Jesus wants you to hear in these words is that perhaps you've been sold a bill of goods that the best thing you can do is to get the world to be a safer place for you. And instead, you need to hear Christ's invitation to see the world through a different lens, to see it through a lens of his kingdom reign, and allow that to be the invitation that hopefully grants you freedom from those anxieties. Now, he clearly commands three times, do not be anxious. And the way he addresses that is first, He's going to give us comfort. And that's actually the biggest section is Jesus taking the time to give us reasonable and rational comfort about why we do not have to be anxious. Then he's going to talk about the conflict. Why why is there that conflict between the command to not be anxious and our worries and our fears? And lastly, he's going to give us the corrective. 
when Jesus begins to speak here and says, do not be anxious about your life, notice he doesn't, he doesn't just say, stop it, right? He doesn't just say, don't be anxious, just believe. Instead, he kindly and slowly and emphatically reasons with our souls. Right, the psalmist takes up this language over and over again where he speaks to his own soul. Jesus takes the time to use ammunition against your soul and say, this is something that you have to think about. Right, if I can quote uh, two dead preachers. I've got these on my phone, so I have to use some technology. Forgive me. John Calvin says this. He says, it would be the height of absurdity to label ignorance tempered by humility as faith. It would be the height of absurdity to label ignorance tempered by humility as faith. In other words, it would be foolish to think faith is just not knowing and being humble enough to know that you're not going to know. Faith is not ignorance. Faith is not blind. Right When Jesus calls us into not worrying, it's not just be, just be faithful. Instead, it's a let me show you, let me reason with you. Another dead pastor says, faith is a position of confidence toward the world based on what God has said in his word. It's a position of confidence toward the world outside of us, not based on, I guess it's going to be okay. But based on what God has said in his word, it is rational, it is reasonable. And so Jesus, when he calls us away from anxiety, doesn't say, don't worry, be happy. Instead, he says, don't worry, and let me show you the 18 reasons why you don't have to. And he begins to reason with our heart. He begins, of course, with the birds of the air. He says to look at the birds of the air. Now, when he says that, he, he doesn't mean, all right, look, I'm just going to use them as an illustration. Let's move on. The, the wording there is actually an invitation to sit and ponder, to look at, to think about the birds, particularly think about the birds and how they eat. Sometime today, you should do this. Maybe you don't actually have to look out your window because you see it enough. You watch, uh, what, are the, what are the white birds with the long beak, the egrets? What are, what are, they, they, they run around, they poke their heads in the ground, Right? What, what are they? Yeah, everybody's got different words for them. Great. <laughs> Consider them. Don't name them. Consider them. Watch them. They stick their face in the ground and they come up and sometimes they've got something and sometimes they don't. You imagine going into a bag of potato chips like that? Boom. You don't do that because you got a plan. Those birds, just poke it in the ground. We've had a cardinal tapping at our window for a few years, and he decided to hang outside my office a lot this morning as I sat there pondering this. <laughs> so I finally put down my pen and turned and stared at him for a bit. And I thought, how long do cardinals live? Do you know the internet says as long as 15 years? (laughs) I was so discouraged. (laughs) And I thought, oh my goodness. I thought this bird would have been dead two years ago. 
And the Lord feeds this moron that taps on my window constantly. I'm serious. We can go over there and watch if you want to do a field trip. That bird is over there tapping on the window right now. And God has sustained his life and will so, maybe even for another decade. The, the invitation of Jesus is to say, those birds, they, they, they don't have an organized system of staying alive. They are carried about by their creator, not their father, not the one who, who adores their soul, but the one who made them and is honored by their existence and oversees every part of their life. They don't have to worry. And you and I, have bank accounts. We have Publix. <laughs> he says, why? Why would you take up worry about food? I literally was snacking before I got up here, so the irony is just all over the place. He says, don't worry when you know that your Father in Heaven is the one who feeds you. Do you think that he cares less for you than he does for the birds? He says, don't you know you are of greater value than they are? And then continuing in his reasoning with us, which one of you by being anxious, verse 27, can add a single hour of his span of life? This feels like taking a shot, doesn't it? It's like, how effective is your worry? The, the language is really fun. It, it pokes at me because the language is really, when it says span of life, it's saying, uh, can add anything to your height? Can you make yourself taller by worrying? If we could, I would be taller, okay? Jesus just openly says, let's think about your worry. And when's the last time it was halftime and they, they interview the coach and the coach is like, you know, what kind of adjustments are you going to make over halftime? Well, our quarterback really needs to get more time in the pocket and our receivers need to get open and our defense is just going to worry all halftime. <laughs> then we're going to take care of it. Worry is not effective. Nobody has ever said at the end of their life, you know, man, I just wish I'd worried a little bit more because then I would have furthered that. Jesus just says, how many of you have found that all the worry that you do has been effective? He's not just being pragmatic. He's somewhat just kind of poking you. Does it really work? And then he moves to clothing and the lilies of the field. Why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. He says, look at them. Look at, look at the grass. Look at the lilies. Look at the wild flowers is this. This is not look at the cultivated plants. Uh, one of the beauties of our community is, is during the season when these purple wildflowers jump up in fields. You know exactly what I'm talking about, right? It's glorious. There's a name for them, right? Yeah, purple flowers. <laughs> What's the right name? Flocks. Flocks. Sure. All right. I'll make a note of that. Uh, somebody shared with me uh, 
some Kierkegaard where he ponders the lily of the field and he makes you dig into the reality that there are flowers that, that come to life and blossom and die that no human eye ever sees. They exist for nothing other than God's glory. He says, consider that. Think about the fact that there are flowers, there's grass, that the Lord cares so much to make it glorious. And that glory will never be seen by one of us. And do you think that he's going to get clothes on your back? Do you think that you, his special creation, he is going to care for? Don't you think he cares more for you? This is promises that we need to slowly and consistently massage into our hearts, right? He cares more for you than he does for that. Again, it sounds like he might be taking a shot here, but I don't think he is. If God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown in the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Do you hear the beauty of that? He's not saying, come on, buck up and have more faith. He's saying, you people with little faith, he's going to clothe you. You who have weak faith, oh, little faith ones, he's clothing you. He's clothing those who do not even see that he's caring for them. How good is he that he sustains, that he cares because he is your father? Once again, verse 31, therefore do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat? What shall we drink? What shall we wear? Fill in the blank. I don't know what you say. What, what is your worry? What, what about who's going to, I don't want to go too far again. I, I don't want to induce too much for you, but I know you've got something that fills in that blank. He says, don't do that because the Gentiles do that. The pagans do that. Now, he's not just saying, you don't want to be a pagan. Don't do that. Like, he, he, he's not trying to shame you into that by saying, well, if you do that, you're like the Gentiles. What he's doing is he's, he's contrasting two different ways of thinking. Right? He's talked about the ways the Gentiles think already. He talked about the Gentiles in prayer that they try and manipulate God. They try and use the formula and use words so that if they can manipulate God rightly, then they'll get what they want. He says the way that Gentiles think is they think that if I, if I do all the things that I'm supposed to do, if I orchestrate and control the world around me just right, I'm going to get what I want. And I'm going to survive and I'm going to sustain. He says, that is the pagan way of thinking. But in the kingdom, the kingdom way of thinking is that your father cares for you more than that. That he will sustain you. Not because you've somehow manipulated him by doing just the right things. But because of his grace and his care. 
He says, don't think like that. Instead, open up your eyes to see that your heavenly Father knows you need them all. Jesus gives us this comfort and this reasoning with our hearts of why we should not be anxious. And if that just worked, we could go home. (laughs) But it doesn't just work. Right? This is not pragmatism. This is not just A, B, C, and then suddenly we're there. This is true. This is reasoning. And this is things that we have to speak to our hearts. But, in verse 33, he says, but. Meaning there is a contrast here. There is all of my worry on one side, and all of my worry is is in contrast to, is antagonistic toward the kingdom of heaven. Many of us think worry is just, you know, part of life. It's just the way that I am. It it just comes with the territory of of the burdens I carry. What Jesus says here is that worry... Worry is actually against kingdom thinking. The mindset of worry is the mindset of how do I control my life, which is absolutely opposed to God being king. So that to worry, to be anxious, to wonder where's my next meal coming from? Where are my clothes coming from? What about my kids? What about my retirement? What about my health? When we take on these worries is to essentially look at God and say, I know you've promised to take care of me, but I think I have a better idea. I know that you've said the plans you have for me are for good, but I think your plans aren't that good. I think I need to insert mine. I know that you have said you will be my refuge and strength. But I haven't seen it lately and I don't think you're doing a good job of it. To worry is to wake up in the morning and say, if I don't do it, God, you're clearly not going to do it. And so I am taking this, get out of the way, let me figure out how this world should operate because you aren't doing a good job. For some of you, that accusation may sound a little harsh, but my guess is if we really just kind of got down to the nuts and bolts of it, you'd have to say, yeah, that's what I'm saying. Of course I'm worried. He hasn't kept up his end of the bargain. My life hasn't gone the way I thought it was supposed to go. In fact, my life has felt like it's been very unprotected at times. I'm anxious because I feel like he's not doing what he says he's going to do. So yeah, I don't think he's doing a good job. And so I'm going to worry. We have a mindset that says I've just got to keep it together. I'm going to hold it up because he's not doing a good enough job. And that mindset is opposed to the mindset that the kingdom is here. The mindset that says Christ is the king and ruler of all, including every need I have. This mindset, this 
kingdom mindset, this gospel mindset, this Christian mindset. There's a thousand different ways you could say. The mindset that is in line with God's rule over all the earth is something we see Paul talk about in 2 Corinthians. In 2 Corinthians chapter 1, Paul, trying to tell his people about how hard things have been, says this. He says, we don't want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction we experienced in Asia. He says, we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. That sounds a little anxious, doesn't it? He says, indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death. But that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God. Now, a lot of us are comfortable there. Don't rely on myself, rely on God, because he is going to make everything okay. That's not what he says. Rely on God who raises the dead. You see the mindset? You see the difference? It's not... He's going to take care of me, meaning no death, no problems, no fear. Anybody ever seen a lily of field get burned up? It happens. The birds of the air at times go hungry. And at times we do too. At times God's people hunger. And at times they get thrown in the fire. Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego. I love it. They have this mindset that Paul talks about, right? We were despairing. We thought we might die, but the purpose of that was not so that God would not let us die, but we would trust the one who actually resurrects, the one for whom death is not the end of the story, the one for whom surviving is not the utmost need, right? Uh, Daniel 3, if you want to, you can flip there. I've got it marked so I can be faster. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they don't bow The king says, all right, into the fiery furnace you go because you will not bow. And they say to him, oh, Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If this be so, if you're going to throw us in the fire, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace and he will deliver us out of your hand. But if not... Be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. They openly say, he's going to be with us. And even if he's not, even if we go through the fires and the through the fires means we show up in eternity, we actually sing that. Did you guys realize that? When I pass through death, most of us don't think, oh, death, I'm passing through that one. The kingdom mindset says, Where is it? Verse 25. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Who's he talking to? He's talking to people for whom their food and their clothing are a big question mark. Their answer would have been, no, it is. That's life. Give me breath and I'm alive. God's definition of life is something that is not stopped by death. 
The kingdom mindset says, what's the worst that can happen? Die? Because your God resurrects. It's not the end of the story. His provision doesn't stop with your heartbeat. You see the conflict? The conflict is, I worry and it's my kingdom that I control or his kingdom and his reign and his goodness that is defined differently than me just having food and clothes and a good day. Now, it would be easy to hear, therefore, just let go of your worries. Right? Like, like Buddhist meditation, just let them go into the stream and pass on by. And you and I both know worry doesn't work that way. If you close your eyes and let go of your worries, when you open your eyes, your worries are going to be right here saying, you forgot about me! I got a few friends here too! Worry is not something that you just let go and don't worry about. It is something you must fight against. You must take it, set it outside of the house, lock the door, and wake up every morning ready to tell it to move out again because you got a new friend in home. Right? It's not just don't worry, but instead seek first the kingdom of heaven and his righteousness. The corrective to worry is a kingdom mindset. The corrective to worry is a mindset that is enraptured with what is happening in God's kingdom as opposed to what I can control in my kingdom. When he says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, he's not talking about two separate things. Both those terms are umbrella terms to talk about the entire Sermon on the Mount. Talk about the entire kingdom of God coming. It's talking about the fact that, yes, personal righteousness externally and internally, seeking after that, longing to have your heart free from fears and anxieties that come with anger, that come with lust, that come with broken relationships, that come with lies and the words you use, all those things he already talked about. Right? It is pursuing after prayer that is directed toward God, not impressing people. It is pursuing after giving freely for the love of God, not for the recognition of others. It is all of that righteousness, all of that piety, but it is so much more. The kingdom of God is not simply about your personal piety. It is about a community of care. It is about a kingdom come that impacts top to bottom everything around you. The invitation to seek after that is to say, I don't have to fear what's going to happen to me and my home and my family and my business. Instead, me and my home and my family and my business are all about seeing God's kingdom come in our home, in our family, in our business, and in our community. It is completely reorienting. Instead of self-protection, it is self-sacrificing so that God's kingdom would flourish. One, I've got two, but I'm doing one. One example of this is hopefully this time next year, 
a good portion of you won't be here. That's not a threat. Josh Gilman is going to go plant a church that way. And part of that means is some of us go. Now, I tried to, but they won't let me. But some of us are going to say, I got my friends here. They teach me the Bible here. I get to play with dump trucks here. They don't have a building. Some of my friends are staying. I, I don't even know who's going to be there, and I don't know how it's... He says, no, 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 no. The mindset of the kingdom says, I will die to all the goods I have here because I'm not worried if they're coming back. But others need to know about them, and others need to have them, and so I'm going to take what I'm getting, and I'm going to go somewhere else, and I'm going to hope others find it there. I'm going to share with them the news of God's grace. And we're going to stumble and bumble. You realize, those of you who go with the church plant, you're probably not going to have this kind of worship for a decade or so. You're going to have somebody with an overhead projector who's just learned three chords on a guitar who might be able to carry a note in a bucket. Right? Your bulletins are going to be misprinted every Sunday. We're still doing that, so we're okay here. You're not going to get the programs that you want. Instead, you're going to die so that others might find that life. But here's the kicker. It's not as though if you seek God's kingdom, you just die. But instead, it is seeking his kingdom first. And what does he say? All those other things I've got, I got. I'm taking care of that. If you worry about all this, we're not going to see this. But if you forget this, leave it behind, leave it in my care and pursue my kingdom, I got that covered. One of the Queen Elizabeths wanted a man, a particular man with a particular set of skills to go across the ocean to the new world. And she said, sir, I want you, we need you there to go and establish what you do here. And he was a small businessman and he said to her, ma'am, if I go, my business will fall apart here. Her response was, if you go be about my business, I'll take care of your business. That is the promise. The sovereign of all says, all those things you're worried about, I'll take care of them. You just come and seek my kingdom. Come after it. Die that others might live, and I'll take care of all those worries of your life. Christ has gone before us, and Christ is the first fruits of that, the one who gave it all, pursuing after the joy of his Father and his kingdom come. Now he sits in the heavenlies, enthroned in glory. And the same is true for you, and it lies before you. Would you pray with me, please? Heavenly Father, I let your word stand firm and let my words blow away and fall to the ground. Uh, Father, let your words be powerful against our fears and anxieties. Holy Spirit, wake us every morning with a heart that longs to seek your kingdom and let go of ours. Father, we know you will do these because you are faithful.
In Christ's name, amen.